Fualcha, 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 Akhartagil, and welcome to episode 107 of the Rebel Matters podcast. This week's guest on the show is my very good friend, Connor Hammersley. I always love getting the opportunity to sit down with my friends whenever they're coming on to the podcast, so it was great to have Connor on the show. At the same time, this conversation is of a sensitive nature. The main topic of conversation that we had during this episode was male violence towards women. So if you've been affected by that, then I just wanted to give us a bit of a heads up. While I was really glad that Connor was able to come onto the show and that we were able to have this chat together, I am also aware of the broad range of our listenership. And it is an important conversation to have and an important conversation that I think we're all a part of. But at the same time, there are sometimes the right time to listen to these kind of chats and other times maybe it's better just to leave it off until you're feeling ready to kind of uh, jump into it. We also touched on men's health issues, including mental health and mentioned the very high rate of self-harm and suicide amongst the male population of Ireland so just once again giving us a little bit of a heads up of what's coming down the line. Having said that we did make a conscious effort in this episode to frame the conversation in a way that was focused on what we can do individually and collectively to make Ireland a safer place for women, how we can make a positive change to the culture that we are all a part of that kind of normalizes aggression towards women acknowledging our own responsibility as men to take part in this conversation and to take some kind of positive action in the right direction it was also a really good opportunity for me to catch up with connor because i haven't had uh, much of a chance to spend time with him recently while he was living in cork when we first met each other back in 2000 and 13 up until just a few years ago but he's now up in Kilkenny where he's doing a PhD in men's health. I want to tell you a little bit more about that in a second before we jump into the episode but just before I do that I just wanted to give you uh, a bit of an update on the other things that are going on. This episode is going to be coming out in and around the 18th of February 2022 and we're just getting ready to go over to Palestine again to get more work done on the Ackley Palestine project that we've had on the go for the last four years. Ackley Palestine is a community gym based in the Laji Centre which is a community centre in the Ida refugee camp in Bethlehem over in Palestine. The last time we were over there was just before the lockdowns and all kicked off as part of the pandemic in February 2020 just about two years ago now so there's four of us going over on the Irish crew myself Padre O'Gill who was there the last time Sally McMonagall who was there the last time as well and the latest addition to our crew is Shiva Brock who's going to be coming with us as well we have been flat out organizing that trip over the last couple of weeks and if you want to keep up to date with that, you can head over to the Instagram page for Ackley Palestine, which is Ackley underscore Palestine. We also have an ambitious fundraising campaign on the go via GoFundMe. And we 
have got some big plans for the project and we're really keen to make it a long-term success so if you want to help with the fundraising of the campaign then you can go to the instagram page actually underscore palestine where you'll find the link to the gofundme page in the bio or you can stick actually palestine gofundme into google or whatever search engine you use and you'll find the campaign there also if there is any other way that you see that you might be able to help us with the campaign by running your own fundraiser or if you have some particular skills that you'd like to lend to the project then feel free to get in contact via the instagram page actually underscore palestine you can send me a message on the rebel matters podcast page if you like as well or you can bang us a wee email to hello at rebelmatters.ie I'm really looking forward to getting back over there and hope I'll be able to record a couple of podcast interviews while I'm out there as well if we can get the time in between doing the work on the gym and going around uh, visiting the friends that we were after making over there over the last number of years. I've been going over there now for four years or so. The first time was in March 2018. So this will be my fourth time going over. So I'm very excited to be finally getting the opportunity to go back and reacquaint with friends and get stuck back into this project. We're also in the process of making a film about the project and kind of using the film as a way to give an insight into what life is like living in the Ida camp under Israeli occupation and what life is like in Palestine in general. Patter, who is on our crew, is taking the lead when it comes to the film so I'm looking forward to actually sharing a little bit more information about the film with you um, over the coming months anyway Instagram Ackley underscore Palestine or find the Ackley Palestine fundraising campaign on GoFundMe let me tell you a little bit about Connor's research I'm just going to read this next piece out it's a wee bio that Connor sent me on about his his work. Connor Harmsley has extensive experience in the areas of men's health at a research policy and advocacy level. He is a PhD scholar with Chagask and the National Centre for Men's Health and his work looks at the socio-culture context that shapes gendered behaviour among rural men in Ireland. His research interests include gender and health, mental health and suicide prevention in men and health promotion targeted at hard-to-reach populations of men. He has a number of peer-reviewed publications and has presented at the national and international conferences on rural men's health and is a board member of the Ending Sexual Violence Prevention and Support Committee in the Institute of Technology Carlo and the National Farmer Health Alliance in Ireland and a member of the American Public Health Association. So that gives you a bit of context on Connor's professional and academic background but I think that uh, one of my favorite things about this conversation that we had with Connor is that it is two friends navigating what is certainly a sensitive topic to discuss at times and also at times a difficult conversation to navigate. The conversation really came about and us recording this podcast came about as a follow-on from an event that we held at Ackley in Cork on the 23rd of January 2022. It was a group workshop on 
gender-based violence and in particular men's violence towards women which was in direct response to the brutal murder of 23-year-old teacher Ashling Murphy in Tullamore on Wednesday the 12th of January. We had around 20 or 25 people in attendance at the workshop in Ackley and Connor was one of the speakers as well as Donna Rose who also spoke at the workshop and apart from Connor and Donna making very valuable contributions and giving us a great insight into their experience and the work that they're doing at the minute there I would say a good section of the workshop was in um, conversations uh, in small groups and everyone had the opportunity to contribute to it so I think that that really does show that there is a desire to take action and to have conversations about how we can change gender-based violence towards women in particular in Ireland today. Certainly for me this conversation was at times difficult to navigate just because of the nature of the the subject that we have in hand so I'm very grateful that Connor was there and that he was able to share his experience not just with his research and his work but also his life experience and that he was in a way kind of able to hold the space and uh, articulate himself in such a clear way that that I really do believe is adding something po- something po- positive to the conversation and the debate and the change that that needs to happen. Aside from Connor's very valuable professional and academic work, in particular in relation to the topic at hand, Connor also played hurling for Tipperary and uh, his club Clonaldy Rossmore and. If you're ever in, Cl- in Clonaldy, you'll find Joe Hammersley's Butchers, a butcher that I've made it a kind of pilgrimage to go to at Christmas time to get the turkey. And on a personal note, I'm very grateful to have Connor as a friend. And just from knowing him down throughout the years, I am very proud of his work and his uh, the leadership that he's shown in everything that, that he's been involved in especially when it comes to the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. This episode is going to be the last episode that I'm going to get out before we hit the road to Palestine. So a couple of small things about that. Uh, First of all, I'm planning on getting an episode out for International Women's Day while we're over there. That's going to be an interview with Kiva Butterly, who some of you might know through her work uh, with refugee communities, migrant communities and uh, her work in Palestine as well as it happens so that's going to be coming out on the 8th of March and also I'm going to have to probably take the podcast down for a day or two while we're traveling over to Palestine and coming back from Palestine just because of the nature of some of the episodes that are in particular on the subject of Palestine and include Palestinian guests just for security purposes while we're traveling i think the best thing to do is just to um take the podcast down for a a day or two so if you see all of the episodes disappearing don't worry they'll be back up uh shortly thereafter last thing before we get stuck into the chat with connor i just want to say a massive thank you to all of our supporters over on patreon who are keeping the rebel matters podcast on the road if you fancy becoming a patron of the show then you can head over to www.patreon.com 
forward slash rebel matters and you can see the various tiers of support i'm actually just working on a few new pieces of art well i'm not working on the pieces of art but i'm working on making the pieces of art available for supporters of the patreon so i'm going to be posting a bit of an update there in terms of that and i'm really excited to be able to share the few things that we'll have coming down the pipeline for the patrons so that's that um i think that's all so a little bit longer of an introduction than usual but we're there at last so i'd like to introduce to you guys connor hammersley and episode 107 of the rebel matters podcast Thanks very much for coming onto the podcast. Anyway, it's not very often I get to do a podcast with someone who I'm friends with, and especially someone who I've known for as long as we've known each other. Ten years. Ten year anniversary. <laughs> no, not not yet. Nine years. It was January. I tell you, it was January 2013 when I first got to know you. So I've- we got to know each other for anyone who's listening way back then, whenever you were studying in CIT. Yeah, see, I do the time. You yeah. came and we're actually in the same class as Arnisha, and then you came up and did your uh, work experience in Ackley. Yeah, I can't even believe it. that Ackley's been on the go for that long. Ackley's been on the go that long. Yeah, and I was, yeah, Nisha was in my class, and I got to know yourself and your gym that she's going in Ackley, I suppose, through Nisha. And then, yeah, it was January 2013 when I would have started workplace placement with you. It's funny that at that time, because we, obviously you were friends with Nisha and then we became friends and it was like our kind of yourself and your brothers and myself and my yeah. brothers, they were kind of merged a little bit. Like there was, even though user from a rural background, which I'm sure we're probably going to touch on in a little bit in the chat and we're from a more urban background, we had a, have a lot in common in terms of our connection with the GA, I suppose is something that, that definitely helped to bring us yeah. together. And all the times that we went out for pucks and up to the ball alley with Timmy as well. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. And I think, and and also when I was in with Tip uh, back in 2019 and early 2020, Cabra was the SNC coach too as well. So there has been loads of links between the O'Carolans and and the Hammersleys, which are dead right. And it's interesting, like, like I'm a household of brothers, of three brothers, you're a household of brothers too. We initially had like a deep love for Hurling and also like, uh, a deep social conscience too as well like um whereas like we would have met a good few times and played hurling but not really talked about hurling and talked more about social issues while playing hurling and uh yeah it's just interesting how our kind of the similarities between the, the two households it's probably a good place to start the podcast that we're that we're having here just by discussing it a little bit because we initially decided to to meet up to do the podcast as a sort of a follow-up to the event that we had in Ackley there a few weeks ago on gender-based violence, mm. which is connected to the area that you're studying in at the minute. And I suppose it can be a hard conversation to start. And also, I think it's important that we're having it, like first and foremost, that we're having it amongst friends in the way that we probably would have been chatting about these things down throughout the years. You're like stuck up in the corner of Alchemy, up on Barrack Street in Cork, just 
having a chat about something like this. Bishop's down ball at you too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's probably great to have a chat like that in, in a kind of friendly and open way. And also, obviously, what we're going to talk about a little bit is the is the stuff that you're studying in, in probably a more academic kind of a way as yeah. well. And that's, I think, that what we were setting out to do at the start of, of the podcast here when we were talking about doing one was maybe ha- having that the intersection between like a chat between friends and discussing things that yeah. you obviously have got built up a bit of, of expertise in and, and that you're studying deeply at the minute. So what, yeah. what, what, how would you summarize the, the work that you're doing? Well, I think for, first of all, just the, the first point that you made in terms of it being a sensitive topic that we're probably going to chat a good bit about here in relation to gender-based violence and our like privileged position in discussing this by the very fact that we're male and we probably haven't experienced gender-based violence. But I suppose what we can kind of add to the conversation is coming at it from a male perspective and being exposed to different environments where we've seen like distorted masculine behavior in front of our eyes that that can lead to kind of pathway where more extreme kind of things happen and then personally and I suppose why I'm on the podcast is that my background I look at like masculinities and identities and particularly how they relate to like well-being and health and how they can be a kind of barrier for many men engaging in health and broadly I, I would look at areas that where gender norms are very entrenched particularly in marginalized populations and how that relates to help-seeking behavior but and just a bit of context to that 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 like suicide rates can be very high in environments where there's a more kind of traditional masculine order about how you go about business and and yeah and i look at or like other kind of interventions of support to help those environments engage in health and emotional expression a bit more so i'm glad that you that you kind of brought it back to that a little bit and it is a sensitive topic to discuss and i suppose we need to be particularly conscious of the fact that we we are discussing it from a position of privilege having not having been more like men are much less likely to experience gender-based violence in the society than women and it would be probably good to add in that the event that we had in actually a few weeks ago was a small sort of action that we wanted to take in the aftermath of the murder of Ashley Murphy in Tullamore. And whenever I, I called you first about it, I suppose, and maybe a lot of the chats that we would have had previous to even you starting to, to study in, in the area that you're, that you're working in at the minute, we would have had discussions about the, I suppose, like the culture that yeah. we would have been exposed to within a sporting environment in particular yeah i suppose yeah and that's something that we can maybe talk about a little bit as well definitely and i think like a good place to start with all this is understanding that a lot of them behaviors that we talk about are like socially and culturally constructed they're behaviors that you know you, you know you often talk about you hear about toxic masculine culture or whatever like those aren't innate things associated with men. Like they are learned behaviors that many men have learned to conform to, to feel accepted within their social environment. And it's ultimately like the difference between sex and gender. So sex being associated, let's say, with your biological reproductive organs that make you male or female and gender being the cultural construction of performing man or woman. 
and, and and it's that space that we as men have largely got wrong in terms of that has led to some of these kind of events happening and has kind of paved the pathway for 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 I was going to say unhealthy things for men themselves and and very violent things in the context of females you know in a way I sort of feel maybe obligation is the wrong word but i feel like there's a responsibility there to take part in the conversation and to have conversations like this even though at the same time like we're been chatting for a few minutes now and i don't know where this conversation is going and i don't have a definite goal in mind for this conversation for anybody who's listening to this i haven't got written down here we need to this is the message we need to be sending or yeah these are the points that we need to cover because like i don't know who listens to the podcast it's going to be a mixture of young people and old people and men and women and mm-hmm. people of any gender really like or no gender yeah. are going to be listening to this and uh yes so it's kind of a it's kind of a challenging podcast episode that we're starting off to try and make here <laughs> it is i suppose and you see and the challenging part about it is though and and kind of to understand it a bit better is like because many men are of the opinion that you know that they have never directly physically violated a woman be that physically or sexually and just see that incidents that happen then as a product of someone's psychological dysfunctional nature. And this is borne out in born out in reality, as we know, but it's borne out in the literature too, as well, that that isn't true. And that the masculine culture that so many of us can inhabit and in passive ways that we can inhabit provides the framework for provides a pathway for, for these things to, to occur. And I think that's trying to, teed that out I suppose would be a good thing that you know how many men engage in passive sexist behavior that you know can ultimately lead to you know disturbing things happening um and 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 I think like often that these can be things that can happen let's say with you know people that you know be that you know girlfriends or friends that you're that are, are girls or other males too as well and that it may go unreported because, oh, you know, that, that's just the lads like and or the lads were drunk or, you know, it was, you know, just the lads were, were doing the lad crack like. And we can often pass it off as that as opposed to seeing it for, for you know, what it really is like. And, and that's male entitlement and, and males learned, assumed sense of superiority that, 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 that they can have like. And, and in that environment more can always want more like and you know it's like that trip that's always going and nobody recognizes it until you get punched in the face and that's what happened like the time with Ashley Murphy society got punched in the face like and everyone stepped back and was wondering you know what the fuck is going on here like um and some people were able to grasp it you know that how society and how men in society paved the way for that and unfortunately other men weren't able to grasp that and went with the not all men, um, not all men angle or mantra. And um, and yeah, you know, I think we all need to kind of take responsibility and take and and have a broader understanding of our role as and our privilege as men in society. And some men with more privilege than other men. So is what we're saying basically is that we're kind of after coming to this junction in the road where it's no longer acceptable just to pawn off violence against women as on one hand like the actions of someone who was just mentally disturbed and on the other hand it's not okay to pawn it off as 
oh, well, it's just because that person was drunk or that's just a personal thing between that man and that particular woman. And instead look at like our own responsibility and our own role in gender-based violence across the spectrum from the, the, the more like in inverted commas, like minor things that happen, like people touching girls' arses in bars and yeah. passing comment on girls as they're walking down the road or whatever the case may be. Like I was talking to uh, one of my female friends the other day and said it's like she was basically saying you wouldn't believe the amount of times that fellas stick their head out the window of the passing car when she's cycling up the road and shout at her from behind. Like that happens all the time. And like, I can't even remember the last time that that happened to me. Yeah. It happened to me once in Australia, actually, in 2006. And the fellas screamed at me out the window and then ended up crashing into the car in front of them. <laughs> but like, it's not something that happens on a regular basis. Like, yeah, I would cycle no, frequently. Yeah. So, is it in a way that we're kind of saying that it's time for a different looking at the looking at gender-based violence and violence against women in a different way from a male perspective and having those conversations and i think that one thing that maybe came to mind say when we were thinking about what we could do at actually to organize something uh, to host or facilitate a part of that conversation was that we were saying we might not necessarily get someone sitting there in the audience or someone to come to an event who yeah. has violently abused a woman or is thinking about going out to kill someone or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But at the same time, there might be people there who've never thought about it in a, in a way that we all may be contributing to that kind of um, disrespectful behavior that, ha- that can have mm-hmm. like much more serious implications down the line because of the fact that violence and aggression against women becomes normalized mm-hmm. because it is so widely accepted in some circles. And from our perspective, one of those circles that we have both experienced and kind of been a part of has been in the sporting kind of arena and specifically yeah. within, within the GA. And it's not, it's not to say that the GA is a particularly toxic environment and compared to any other male yeah. sporting environment, but that just happens to be just so happens to be the environment that, that we kind of grew up in, like, I don't know what age you were when you started playing for Knolte mm-hmm. first, but like first time I got a hurdle, I was about four or five and I was in playing for St. Paul's when I was yeah. 10. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's ever 20 odd years playing ingrained and playing and playing hurling and, and the culture that, that, that goes with it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, like a part of that culture can be negative, can be negative towards women. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, any, like, and it's, and like most cultures um, that are male dominated, because like society demands and, and kind of glorifies like output and productivity, uh, there can be constant competition between people, like, and it's constantly out bettering each other. Like, this is why, like, in a lot of lag groups, you know, often like the currency of engagement between men is just like belittlement and sarcasm. So there's kind of this intermale dominance to kind of jump on the hierarchy ladder between males, like, and, and that's 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 an important point because, like, because a lot of the stuff we talk about here is distorted masculine norms in terms of you know, like, like it's a very disturbed thing for a male to physically beat up another 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 person, but another female, but often like we can ignore. The kind of little daggers that are happening in society that lead to th- those kind of things so for instance like 
males also overwhelmingly perpetrate violence towards other males. And often, like, when that happens, we can pass it off. So, like, it constantly goes on in, in front of our face. Like, like I was in a bar in Kilkenny was it last weekend, and uh, over in the corner, just as a fight breaks out between two lads, like, and, you know, and as I said, kind of, you know, we can pass that off as drunken behavior or whatever, and they got kicked out and everyone went on and nobody thought about it, th- thought about it again. But like what's really going on there is kind of that complex battle of like intermale dominance and trying to capture a masculine sense of superiority over another male. So males are also disadvantaged is the point that I'm making with this kind of, I suppose, distorted masculine culture. And it's also largely rooted in why men are overwhelmingly represented in, in suicide statistics more so than than their female counterparts because seeking help is like an admission of failure or that they can't deal with issues on their own like so they tend to remain like stoic and strong and tough in the face of adversity as opposed to kind of acknowledging the challenges that they might face and those are learned behaviors you know so i gave the day in 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 ackley at the at the, at the workshop we had i gave the, the example of when i was at a, a ga underage game uh, last summer and uh, and I might just tell that story again because it kind of helps people understand how like passive daily behaviors that we just kind of let let go kind of feed into this kind of culture of suppression emotions um, among men and um, I was at, I was at a it was I think it was an under 10 game and at, the, at that level the boys and girls they, they they play together and anyway I went down there and there was one little kid and he was playing midfield, I think, and he was up and down the park and he was all over the place. But anyway, he went down injured in the first half. And I think, I think it was his dad that was, that was over the team. And then his dad runs into him and uh, he was like, are you crying? Are you crying? Up you get there. Up you get, don't be crying. And the little kid gets up and I could see him wiping away his tears as he was, as he was going back, getting into the game again. He got up and he tore into it again anyway. But anyway, in the second half, um, a girl went down, she was playing the backs and she went down injured and the game stopped and everyone went over and there was care and compassion showed to the girl um, and then we made sure she was okay and then the game uh, commenced again. I know, I know you know what I'm kind of getting at there, but like the message that that sends to that young boy and that young girl and not just the two of them, every other kid that was there is that it's okay for girls to go down and receive care and compassion but it's not okay for boys to do that and that if you want to be a sports person going forward you need to suppress emotions you need to be strong and tough and you need to get on with things and and then like as young boys as you go through society you add small little layers are added to that the whole time particularly if you're in sporting environments like that like emotional expression is a sign of weakness and and if you stay adding stuff to that and you stay, as you know, like if you stay shoveling enough crap underneath the carpet, eventually it'll come to the surface. Like, And then if men can go through their whole lives, unfortunately, without having any safe spaces to address, you know, their masculine behavior or address emotions that they may be going through. And unfortunately, then in some stages it, it can, if things get too much for men, it can express itself by via self-harm or violence towards others, other males or violence towards, unfortunately, females sometimes as well so the point that i'm making is yes we need to take responsibility men themselves but also society and how we learn and how we teach our young boys and the small little nuanced messages we teach our young boys 
and 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 young teenagers um you know is a huge role to play and it's just ultimately social reproduction is, is what it is and that's the process by which you learn to conform to an environment so if you go into an environment um and you understand you know you quickly learn to absorb the rules of engagement between that environment so if you go into an environment and lads are talking crap about women and objectifying women you will quickly understand as a young teenager that if you're going to conform to this environment you need to engage in that tittle tattle talk as well you know and it's, it can vary for many young men it can go their whole lives without that being challenged or addressed or highlighted to them that there is another way of engaging and there's another way of going through life as a man and life just isn't like this big rat race where we're all just trying to outdo each other one thing that struck me when we were, were having the workshop in Atlee was that the conversation that we're having now and the conversation that we were having at the workshop as well it's it's a multifaceted conversation like there are many different angles one thing that was great was the different perspectives that people brought to the table at that meeting and there was a, i guess it was about 20 or 25 people or something like that at it yeah all together and i was thinking at the beginning i was thinking there should be more men here it was maybe 35 percent men or something like that and but the majority of people who were at it were, were women and the men that were there were a few people who were training in the gym and a few people whose girlfriends and friends had brought them along to the workshop and one thing that in a way that i was glad that there was so many women there was that the women that were talking at the workshop were able to consistently confirm each other's stories which yeah. was good for us being in the presence of that mm -hmm. because i think that a part of the way that aggression and violence towards women is normalized in society is that women aren't given enough credit for the things that they're saying the smaller things that they say on a daily basis like the fact that that story about getting shouted at when you're cycling down the road all the time or yeah. not being not feel confident to walk down certain streets because they're not lit well enough mm -hmm. and things that happen to women in social situations in bars when it's one woman saying it yeah there might be someone who will say write it off oh, that was just a once off but when you're sitting in a room with 20 women and they're saying like this stuff happens all the time happens to me on a regular basis and then the other person says same thing happens to me all the time and also this other thing happens to me all the time that it was quite an impactful thing for the men that were there yeah. to minimum baseline start listening to what the women are saying to us and and respecting that and then it's maybe more of a motivation then to get engaged in these types of conversations because when you hear something like that so clearly and so starkly set out in front of you, like, yeah, you want to do what you can to try and make some kind of a positive impact on that. And uh, I suppose the other thing was that just struck me there when you were talking is the fact that it is such a multifaceted conversation. There could be somebody listening to this now screaming at the screaming yeah, at the it. radio or screaming at the computer or whatever they're listening yeah. to it on because they're seeing a different perspective or maybe like we're not, um, like the, when we were in, in Ackley and there was a big group of people, it was kind of a discussion where one person would bring something up and then somebody else would say, yeah, yeah that's a good point. But at the same time, this is also true. Yeah. And then it was going like that. And I suppose that is, we're never going to achieve a, 
a discussion that's going to hit every single point of view during this podcast but at the same time it's just kind of like a personal contribution to the, to the conversation that that we can make based on like our friendship and our experience and your research and yeah and as a kind of as a, as a as a small follow-on from what, what, what we were discussing and after that time yeah and and largely like you know from my perspective like i can only add to the conversation of my social experience of being a man and then what the literature says in relation to masculinities and that space and and the first point that you made there was an interesting one in relation to listening to the voices of females in relation to their their lived experience about gender-based violence and while, while that that is very important but translating that into advocacy for men and actions for men is a part where men need to really get involved in the conversation so there was some very interesting experiments done they're actually done in in the us with similar cohorts of people where they got they basically got received similar cohorts of people received lectures uh and it was all the same content around basically like gender-based violence and women's issues and men's issues and they broke it into females delivering the lectures and males de delivering the lectures and it was only men that were being delivered to and the response rates or the perceptions of how they were received were much higher from the male person giving it to males than the female person giving it to males um, and it was largely rooted in the perception maybe or an innate perception that oh you know um, they're just anti-male or it's just you know males are always the problem this kind of stuff was said and why they'd listen to, to males. So there was more buy-in from the... More buy-in. And I know that... And, and the presenting it. Yeah, basically. And I, and, and I know that's not the, the ideal scenario, but I'm also pragmatic about it. Like, whatever we can do to get men in the door, if that means, like, more men like me and you coming on board with this and being advocates for this, well, then so be it, like. And then we might get to a, a space when we get the more hard-to-reach men into a position where they listen to, to females. Because I know, let's say, that I can relate... To the social environment that i'm exposed to maybe in ga men more so than another you know female who hasn't been exposed to that environment and i can maybe grasp the conversation or grasp the topics in a way or or, or gauge them in a way that they might be able to you know digest a bit easier or better to try and get them in the door in relation to this thing you know in a way it seems like it's maybe a tricky thing to discuss when you're talking about men's health and men's opportunities to seek help and to have safe spaces to talk about in the aftermath of violence against women. But yeah. in a way, that is an important part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And because we're not saying that as a way to make excuses for violence yeah. or aggression against women. But yeah. as you said, we're talking about it in the context of aggression, aggressive behavior in general. Yeah as a function of like not having coping mechanisms for things that have been imposed on men and, yeah. it, and so they're rooted in the important point to note like they're rooted in the same space like so males like um males like uh, resistance towards their own health and violence perpetrated or sexualizing females or seeing females you know as just merely through the lens of sexual objects um they're rooted in the same kind of masculine sense of superiority 
where you know you don't engage in kind of anything that represents femininity and so males um males uh how will i say violence towards females or males kind of kind of sexually demonstrating themselves kind of to the lads you know talking about maybe their sexual experience to other lads in a performative way is a demonstration of a to try and elevate themselves and this superior kind of masculine status within their group and and anytime i think about that i often i always think about that um that you know belfast rape trial um that happened uh, I think it was, was it 2018, 2019? I think it was 2018. Um, but anyway, I remember reading the WhatsApp messages from the day after the incident happened. They were released in, in court and they were published in, in the papers. I remember reading the WhatsApp messages between that group of lads who, who partook in, in that, that event, them Ulster rugby guys. And, you know, they used words to each other like, we're top shaggers. Why are we such legends? But then... What was also published was the girl who was subjected to that violence and her WhatsApp messages between her friends. And she speaks about crying and she speaks about asking them to stop and then not stopping. And she speaks about two lads um, violating her and another lad tried to jump in. And she spoke in her messages. It's actually even quite emotional thing about, about how miserable she felt about herself in in that space and how she felt that she couldn't go or tell the guards about it or she couldn't press charges against it because these were such lads of high social status in that environment and yeah and that was just shocking like to see in clear daylight how you know unaware those guys were of their behavior and i think that there are so many men in sporting environments that have normalized that type of behavior even since that event and there are so many young men in sporting environments i think up and down the country that are only one party away from from that occurring and probably have already engaged in that type of behavior and maybe the the girl that was exposed to that type of environment maybe didn't press charges because you know again it was just the lads and or the lads were you know they were just they were drunk like or or whatever you know and that and, and I'll just go back to the first point that I, that I made about it. That type of behavior, that kind of neglect of another person is also reflected in their own, in many men's own neglect of themselves and their own emotional well-being because nobody acts in that type of behavior and is, 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 is well in an emotional sense. That makes sense. Have you had any negative reactions to putting the case forward in that way? Like when you're talking about violence against women and then has anybody said, why are you putting the attention on like being like, oh, the poor men, they're, they need more help and they're, they're not well and that's why it's happening? Um, yeah, yeah, I have. I've had all sorts of reactions, to be honest, to stuff when, when, I'm, when I'm talking about this. Um, yeah, I have, but I think, I think if, it, if, it's, if it's clearly explained and when you're talking about men, like it needs to... You need to talk about it in its diversity and, and different subpopulations of men within gender hierarchies. I might just explain gender hierarchies very, very briefly, because I think it helps give context to it. Um, but, and yeah, just before you do that, I suppose yeah. I just want to say it like I, I'm not asking that in the sense that like I'm not 
like trying to make out like that you're trying to justify the violence because just the men are not like have got something wrong with them or something like that. Yeah. But I am interested to know how you respond to that kind of reaction when you do get it, if, when you have got it in the past. Um, if, if, yeah, go, go, go for the, the, the hierarchies. I think, cause I think that's just from listening to you talking about it before. I think that's probably a part of the, part of the puzzle. Really. It's, it's, it's part of the answer. And it kind of goes back to the point that you said about it. Like, like there's very little binary things that are, that are associated, that are, that, that are associated with it. The, but the point that I, I would say is that it's anyone who's projecting themselves as tough and impregnable to harm and stuff like this and this assumed sense of you know superiority in a, in a social environment it's generally a facade like and a cover-up of broader insecurities and is held together maybe by the the established ego that they have created by their social environment be that true you know their execution of skills on a sports field or as a banker or whatever the hell has constructed them into that environment that, that they're in. And, and I think it can be best explained through gender hierarchies. And this was a, a theory put forward by Australian sociologist, uh, Raywin Connell, who's probably the leading academic in, in terms of gender studies internationally. And she contends that th th there's a particular gender hierarchy that occupies all environments in Western society. So everything from the local to community to national, everything from a social group in a pub to a high government office. And at the top of that hierarchy chain is a thing called uh, hegemonic masculinities. Um, and that is predicated on people with power and status in, in any given environment um, and is rooted you know, in a complex range of interconnected social, cultural, and economic factors that position certain men at, at top of that chain and associated with whatever is the, like, you know, the most valorized form of cultural expression in, 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 in a given environment. So let's say for instance, um, uh, you're down in Cork at the moment. And let's say like rugby is a big thing down in Cork. So uh, let's say the Munster rugby players, if they were in a particular social environment, they would assume the most superior position in that, that environment. But being a Munster rugby player may not have cultural clout over if you were in Wall Street. So if you were in Wall Street, being a very good banker in that space would garner you cultural clout that would try that could position you at the top of that hierarchy chain. So the point that I'm making there is it's shaped, shaped by context. And at the top of that hierarchy chain in that hegemonic masculinity space, while it can be fluid, but there's a couple of consistent uh, characteristics that position people at the top of that. And that is one being a male, other being heterosexual and another being white, largely speaking. And also some symbols that demonstrate your dominance. So maybe like big cars or big houses, stuff like that, that symbolize that. And just below that hegemonic space is two mutually on a mutual, two things that are on a mutual level together. And that is complicit masculinities and complicit or hegemonic femininity. So in the complicit masculinity space, you have people, let's say, who may not meet all the ideals that would position them at the hegemonic, um, in the hegemonic position, but they kind of glorify those people that are in that position. They want to be them and they, they think that being associated with them people reflects well on their identity. And they generally do well in society because they largely come from like middle class environments and, and, and they're male. 
and then in the in the complicit femininity side and it's largely occupied by females and is often referred to as hegemonic femininities there's a lot of social pressure on these on these females and, and females who conform to that social pressure to kind of position themselves in accordance to those men uh, in the hegemonic masculine space and that can be predicated on you know their sexual appeal and also on their occupation but as long as their occupation doesn't outweigh the occupation that's that that's applied by the person in the hegemonic position so there are people there are people let's say that give oxygen to those in the hegemonic uh, position those in the complicit masculinity space and the complicit femininity space and, and i'm conscious of even bringing up the complicit femininity space because it's not to suggest that you know, in the context of gender-based violence, uh, that in any way victim blaming. But the point is the social pressure on females to kind of um, project themselves towards the lens of those who occupy the hegemonic masculine space. So in reality, what you'd see is, so both those spaces, they glorify those in the hegemonic position. So if you were inside Reardon's pub, on, on a Saturday evening and the guys, the Munster rugby players are in there, you would see both the complicit masculinities and the complicit femininities gravitate towards those people because they occupy, you know, the, the cultural significance or cultural status within that, that environment, if, if that makes sense. And, and then just below that, below the complicit phase, you have uh, resistant or subordinated masculinities and femininities. And, uh, and in that space, the gender norms between subordinated masculinities and subordinated femininities, uh, the gender norms between them groups are not that uh, distinct, where they are very distinct in the complicit box and the hegemonic box. And they can often be people who are not motivated by, you know, status or recognition in society. Um, they can be more creative people too as well, and people that often challenge the hegemonic norm of things. And down at the bottom of the gender hierarchies, then you have stigmatized masculinities and stigmatized femininities. And largely those spaces are occupied by transgender people, migrant people, and traveler people, of people or, or other people of low socioeconomic standing too as well, who will find it very hard to, to garner like a stake in society by the very fact of their sexual or ethnic orientation. And that's why you see an awful lot of uh, self-harm and also violence in those groups, because particularly among men within those groups, they can self-harm because they, as a method, uh, as method or, or, of reason of despair, basically, because they can never garner a kind of a masculine sense of autonomy within their lives in that environment, or else can act out in a violent way to try and capture a masculine sense of superiority in that space. And just to go back up to the top of that chain, you know, we discussed the, um, you know, the, that Belfast rape trial and, and those guys, they would have been typical guys who would have occupied that hegemonic space in that type of environment and completely abused the power that they held in that space. Um, and, and often if the norms within that environment are toxic, we'll say, it can filter right down through to both the complicit spaces so you think about in i just think of rural areas and the the cultural significance of gaa in rural areas and even towns and, and cities too as well and it'll be those guys in them environments that occupy those spaces 
So what is the cultural norms among those guys? And if the cultural norms among those guys is distorted, it will, you know, it will it'll filter down um, into those groups. The way that I'm visualizing this in my head is there, yeah. it's like a pyramid and there's four levels yeah. on the way down. So there's the hegemonic masculinities, yeah, complicit. The complicit masculinities. Then there was, what was the third one down? There was complicit masculinities and, and, and hegemonic femininities. They're both on each other level. Yeah, and below that then is subordinated or resistant masculinities and femininities. They're the people who generally challenge the hegemonic norm. That's why from the hegemonic side of things, they are subordinated. If you're in that space, you're resistant. You see yourself as resistant to the patriarchal norms of society. And at the bottom of that social chain, then you have people like migrants, travelers, transgender people who find it very hard to gain a stake in society if that makes sense so it sounds like you're kind of mapping out or like you're describing the mapping out of the the patriarchal structure that's imposed on society in a way and from listening to you talking there it sounds like a model that allows for abuse of power at the top and then on the bottom side it's people and often, are more predisposed to not being able to yeah get on in society and have, have a good life so then that perpetuates yeah its own kind of problems you can imagine if you 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 imagine you just say sorry sorry to be going back to this now but it's just a very good case in point that belfast rape trap can you imagine if that was if that was conducted by someone in the stigmatized bracket if that was conducted by a migrant or from someone like if they were on trial yeah because there can be they can be they can be so much let's say, cultural support for people in that environment. There's a very good documentary on Netflix. I watched it recently. It's called Roll Red Roll. I really recommend watching it. So it's basically these high school American football guys. They go out on a night out and they're the shit in the parties that they're at. And eventually there's some girls there. I think it's one girl there that was, that was drunk. And they basically rape her and they video it and they talk about it in their WhatsApp groups and stuff like that. And the whole town, because they were American football was the main thing in their area. And you see the town coming together, trying to protect these boys when it goes to when it goes to court. And only for brilliant journalism, those boys were in the end brought to justice. But you really see the local town doing their utmost to try and defend um, uh, uh, those boys and pass it off as, you know, whatever, drunken behavior and banter and, and whatever. So, yeah, you know, and I do think, you know, like that often can be the belly of the beast. And that's where up there in that hegemonic and often them complicit spaces is where the breeding ground can stem for for some of these, you know, norms that that doesn't position anyone as 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 advantaged and positions everyone as the disadvantaged because I'm not it's not to say that those people in them spaces are having a great time. They can be huge inter-male bullying in them spaces to try and position themselves at the top of that chain and also in the complicit hegemonic space there's some very interesting studies in uh, single sex female schools and uh, in the hierarchies that are in them environments and 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 what a lot of them kind of conclusively found that while aptitude was one area that kind of helped um raise your social status another one was sexual appeal in accordance that was in accordance or viewed through the lens of those in the hegemonic space and girls in that environment would try and kind of the cool girls would hang with each other 
to try and elevate their own identity in that space. And again, I, I don't say that to kind um, uh, victim blame in any way in relation to um, gender-based violence, but again, a lot of it was rooted in kind of institutional forces that can pattern young girls to position themselves or view themselves in accordance with their own sexual appeal and status um, among young girls being developed in accordance to where they're positioned in relation to how men view them sexually. Say to go back to the question at the beginning there about how you respond to negative reactions to like when, when you're framing yeah. uh, gender-based violence like that and in the way you were talking about it there the description of that model that you gave just makes a really strong case for it makes a really strong case that men should be fighting to this uh to what do you call what's the word to like take down the patriarchy as much as women yeah 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 because yeah it's it's everyone's disadvantaged in that yeah everyone's disadvantaged by it exactly everyone's position everyone is disadvantaged by that and uh and because like even the people at the top of the hierarchy chain, it constantly needs reaffirmation to stay there. It constantly needs doing to stay in that position. Nobody's happy in that because you're constantly watching your back. And as I said, like there's huge rates of like intermale bullying for everyone to try and position themselves at that space. Like, you know, and there's no, let's say, integrity or real connection between men in those environments because it's all... I suppose, rooted in kind of social projections to try and elevate themselves to kind of a higher social standard. Um, yeah, like if the top is driven by money and status, Yeah, basically what we're saying there is that it's driven by greed and just if you're consumed by greed is not going to be a good thing for anybody. Yeah, there's no, there's no integrity to it. Even if you're minted. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, it's it's the complexities at play and i suppose another thing that i would just say about it too as well that you know it's it's um it's fluid too as well so like you know it's 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 not as if one person will have will occupy the hegemonic position in every environment that they're in um so let's say for instance um you know where, where i come from let's say my my hometown is is Thurless, let's say, and hurling is the main form of cultural expression there. So let's say if a big dog hockey player came in or basketball player into Thurless, they would have very little cultural significance, not unless there's a big few hockey players or ice hockey players or whatever, or ice hockey fans or basketball fans around there, you know. Or if and I often think about like, you know, in an environment like that, if you went into the local nightclub in Thurless and the members of the Tipperary hurling panel, I'm only giving this as an example, were in that space, people would gravitate towards them. But you could have someone like Sally Rooney, the brilliant novelist, sitting in the corner and it would it would matter damn all to those people, like, because it's all about, you know, the cultural uh, significance in that particular environment. So, and, and different environments will position different people as advantaged or, or disadvantaged. And that's the social and gender relations of any different environment. This is why masculinities too, as I, you know, I would have used the term masculinity, so it's plural and it comes in many different forms. Like there's not just one form of, of demonstrating masculine behavior, if that makes sense. So what do you do as part of your PhD? You're obviously studying and re like researching 
the academic basis for these things, but what kind of work are you doing in terms of the face-to-face with people? Yeah, so I would go out and um, a lot of my work at the moment now is with farmers and that, and I would go out and I would sit down and I would talk to farmers about uh, broadly, like we would talk about life as a, as, a, as, a, as a farmer and how that shapes their relationship with health and and help seeking behavior and the stressors associated with that and and a lot of them can be directly related to the occupation that they have as a farmer but a lot of them then can be related to the cultural context that can like greatly reduce their capacity to engage with some of the challenges you know that, that they face i'm just thinking about I remember oh, this is two years ago now before covid but i had a, an interview with a farmer bachelor man he was out in the west of Ireland there and I sat down I said we were chatting for about two or three hours like and I remember after it he just said and he's in his 60s and he told me he'd never ever had a conversation like that in his life like you know and we just talked broadly about how we viewed you know small things like going to the doctor and stuff like that and our um and opening up about some of the challenges that he had faced you know with his own dad previously and stuff like that and that kind of man on man in environment and yeah and it just struck me that so many men can go through their whole life without being exposed to a space where they feel comfortable to address you know some of the images that they feel pressured to live up to as a man in society and um yeah you know and i i think i do think to some extent this is this is a this is a tough thing to say but with all the stuff that's going on and all the self-harm that men perpetrate to towards you know themselves and the violence towards other i do think that there is somewhat of a crisis in in masculine identity among men and they deeply need to be exposed to more feminine and and gentle behavior where they can i suppose address some of the learned behaviors of how you know they view how they feel they should be a man in society if if that makes sense yeah it does and that's kind of brings us to the the junction in the conversation where we kind of have to consider how we're going to make some kind of a positive impact on what's what is too obvious to be ignored anymore that, that that women are subjected to um aggressions and violence that is sort of socially accepted in a way or maybe socially yeah. accepted isn't the way isn't the right word but that has well, look it's, it's a, a very of... yeah it's a, like i like in most male poor like in, mo- in a lot of male environments you could go into the room and easily and it'd be perfectly normal for you to go into a room and talk about your sexual exploits and that you would, I did so and so or to a girl, and it would be completely normal. Whereas it'd be completely abnormal if you went into a group of men and said, "Lads, you know what? I'm I'm not feeling well today at all, um, and my life hasn't been good over the last while, and I'm in a very 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 dark place at the moment." And I think that is a really, I I don't know, a fucked up way of how we've learned to do man that it is socially acceptable to go in. And would socially elevate yourself if you went into a group and you it was okay to talk about how you violated another girl, but it's not okay to talk about your own emotional well-being. 
And so maybe socially acceptable, socially accepted is the right phrase to use then when you frame, yeah, when you frame violence and aggression towards women in that in that way, like from from the sort of like locker room talk or the acceptable talk, in, yeah, and that can happen amongst groups of men, all the way up to the most extreme uh, form of of violence, yeah. And another part of that is being able to make it as socially acceptable for men to be able to come in and say, like what you said, I'm feeling completely in a dark place here. Like yeah. it's not good. I need some help. And also being able to help men uh, or to yeah. make and, it uh, socially acceptable to, to, to cut yeah. the chat when the chat does go down the route of like, yeah. oh, I should have seen what I did last night. Yeah, 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 that's it. And 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 if you're in, and I would just, because it's not as if all male groups are like that. I'm very fortunate to have some very good friends um, that I can openly talk to about whatever stuff is going, going on in my life. And, and they to me too as well. But unfortunately, many men don't have that scenario. And if you are one of them men that you feel that and you're in a, a social group or on a consistent basis, where it's not okay for you to, you know, express your emotional self in that group. Well, then you probably are in a group that gender norms are very, very entrenched. And there's a particularly strictly negotiated way of being a man in your group. And that is predicated on a couple of key variables in terms of staying strong, projecting yourself as this strong, tough, cool individual who, you know, is, might be a a good sports person has their way with females and you know all those kind of kind of kind of things that position everyone as 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 disadvantaged you know uh, and then i think i suppose just in in terms of the kind of point that you were kind of hitting at then earlier on like what can we do you know what 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 can we do to try and uh and, and address these these things. And the first point that I would say that anything that's a cultural problem, it needs a cultural solution to it. Um, and that's and that's and that's a difficult task. Um, but I think you can come at it from more like macro levels and also micro every everyday levels. And when I say macro, I think it's it's about like you need your institutions on board with these things like. You know, you need big bodies that occupy society in your country to come on board with this and and support people in relation to creating a healthier environment uh, for everyone. And when, when I when I say that, I mean like you know, your male dominated like the GAA need to really take ownership of this. The RFU need to take ownership of this. The FAI need to really get on board with this. Our third level institutions, our second level institutions. Like we still have fucking schools segregated by sex, like, you know what I mean? So we have such a long way to go with that. And then, you know, on the more micro levels, um, people, you know, people being being advocates and in some spaces, you know, you need to you need to fight fire with fire, like, you know, and, and call people out on their behavior and and seek for, you know, maybe like ethics or in maybe if you're in an environment a male dominated environment ethics around what's how what's appropriate and not appropriate to be shared in the whatsapp group and stuff like that you know and seek out maybe people that could run workshops within your group in relation to healthy 
normative behavior among among men and how they inter interact with each other and um and yeah i don't know what what what, what are your thoughts on that I don't think there's any right way to finish the conversation. And in many respects, the conversation is only beginning as, yeah. as it should be. Um, I remember thinking before when we were discussing whether or not we were going to have the workshop in Ackley, was there any point in doing it? Yeah. And part of that discussion was, was there any point in sharing stuff on social media? Like if I share yeah. something on Instagram, who's going to see it? Largely the people who probably have the same point of view and they're probably sharing it as well. And I'm seeing it from their profile. But yeah. at the same time, I don't know everyone who's following the Rebel Matters Instagram account. Yeah. And there might be someone in there who might see something who, it might frame something for them slightly differently. It might send them off on a train of thought or down a rabbit hole of doing it, looking into something a bit more or questioning their own behavior or questioning the behavior of the people that they're associating with or that they're mm. in groups with and maybe it's the same thing for the podcast here like i was saying at the start like i don't think either of us had any set goal or really message or like yeah. solid kind of points that were like this this is what everybody <laughs> needs to start doing yeah look and and i think i think like like it, it's largely a stigmatized space like for men to kind of be calling out other men in this space, but stigmas are rooted like in silence, in, in, in the unspoken word, things that aren't spoken about. Like, like for instance, like how long did it take society, Irish society to fully come to terms with homosexual behavior? Like, you know, when was that amendment passed? Was it 2015 is all like that? That's, that's, that's hard to believe because these conversations weren't being had like, you know, in, in 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early noughties, Ireland, like, you know, so the more kind of conversations we have, the more little, small, nuanced things that go on in everyday environment, and the more we encourage our institutions to get on board with these things, the more, the more they'll change and the less stigmatized they'll become, you know. In terms of the conversation between men, it's not just a conversation about male violence towards women that needs to happen. Like that's yeah. a part, that's a part of the conversation, but the yeah. other part of the conversation is a very like open and hard look at the, yeah, I suppose the privileged position that, that men occupy in Irish society and also yeah, how, which might be a, a, a less obvious for many people and just as an important aspect of it, like what we were discussing there about how the patriarchal, structure of society or the patriarch the patriarchal kind of ways of society are not good for men yeah like no they're not they're just not good yeah for anybody no and that's exactly it gender-based violence while it is a very significant distorted outcome of of poor masculine behavior there are many other very unhealthy outcomes from it that position um men as disadvantaged and also the broader environment that we occupy there's interest a lot of inter very interesting research going on within like uh, environmental scientists and social scientists and, and gender studies at the minute that look at like masculine orientated occupations and the debilitating aspect that they're having on the natural ecosystem so in terms of like 
logging, petroleum exploitation, mining, stuff like that, that all are like male orientated uh, occupations. And again, another, you know, another weird way, like controlling nature, like men controlling females and other less masculine men is a, is a, is a demonstration of masculine performance, of superior masculine for performance. So controlling the natural environment, taking advantage of the natural environment is rooted in the same space as, as controlling females or other less masculine males. So we really need to, and at that, and a lot of that is that pursuit of that hegemonic masculine space where you're on top of the social environment. And we really, really need to clip that at its heels. I don't know if that makes sense or not. <laughs> Probably as good a place as any to finish it up. Yeah, yeah. That was a good, good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's good that we've documented this conversation anyway. I know. <laughs> and maybe, maybe in another time we might be able to expand onto it again. You know. So look, it's good. Like, and I do like. It's just good to come at us, you know. And I think it's good for two males to 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 expose some of this stuff and chat about some of this stuff. Like, you know. Well, even just from chatting to you, like. The chat in itself is, is in a way of expanding ideas and it's like an exploration yeah rather than a presentation mm-hmm. in a way like kind of figuring out the path as you go when you're talking about it i do think there i do because i do think um like i i put up one particular post on on instagram um quite a lengthy post about violence and how you know i suppose we as young males can be patterned towards maybe violence and stuff like that. But I got so many private messages from other males saying that they completely agreed or you spoke for me because I do think that there's a real a silent majority out there that do want to get out of this type of kind of kill or be killed macho environment that we can, that we can all find ourselves in that is just draining is what it is. And it's, and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. That's maybe one thing that might, you never know who's listening to this. Somebody might hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, it's happened a good few times when people come up to me kind of randomly and just start talking to me about something really personal. And I'm like, how did you even know about that? Yeah. Like you were talking about it on the podcast. <laughs> like yeah. I completely forgot. Yeah. You yeah. Never well, know, you never know who hears things like. Well, that's it. And you, I see that so much. Like, how often do you see that, you know, you could have when you're one on one with another another man and you have a really great conversation uh, with them and then and you see them in the group environment and they're a completely different person because they feel they have to conform to that group environment where they just start to show that their own personality or their own authenticity when you can get them outside of that group environment. Maybe that's where maybe that's the space that is most easily easy to have an impact on if someone when you're having a one-to-one conversation with them is being themselves and they're sound and like compassionate and everything Mm. it can't be a huge stretch for them to break the negative behavior that just so happens to happen in another environment yeah and are you trying to like help those people to break that kind of you know, if, if you a lot of time like if you see something that you're doing that's negative it's that's a part of the battle of being able to get over it if you're not aware of it then yeah you can't break it 
and that's it like awareness could be a lot of this like how do men how do you get men to understand they need to get out of something if they don't even realize that they're in it you know because if that's all the environment that they've known and talking in a certain type of way like how do you know like no one that's and this is a strong word to use but nobody that's in a cult-esque environment will actually acknowledge that they're in a cult-esque environment like and that and that's the thing and that's why just need to create institutions particularly need to create environments where these things can be addressed and exposed as constructs that position everyone as disadvantaged and challenge there, yeah, there has to be a way of giving men the tools to address things as they come up because in a way when you're in that group scenario and if like you need to put your neck on the line and it takes a bit of courage to be able to say to someone you can't say that and especially when you're like giving young men teenagers and boys in school the tools to do that yeah where the pressure is a different kind of pressure compared to when you're an adult like and it's different because you could be more mature or you could have more awareness about yourself when you're an adult or less yeah. pressure to conform compared to when you're in school when you know that something isn't right but then we're basically i think if we're asking young boys to, to be able to call their peers out on yeah. negative behavior then there needs to be something in place to help to give those boys the tools and self-confidence and the self-belief to do it yeah and that they'll be they'll be like supported by the environment to do to do those type of things and that be i'm not sure what that would be in reality more like societies and clubs and schools and a whole ethos around gender equality and and gender relations like you know like like you know just for for instance and this is a common thing for young men like you know if they see a girl that they're or a boy that they're attracted to you know what type of terminology did they use to verbalize that to other other guys like you know do they use degrading language towards that girl or they just acknowledge that they they fancy that person um you know and i think small things like that are are are, are things that feed a good or bad culture within groups and that can be shaped by context because the thing is, if these things are culturally constructed, they can be culturally deconstructed and culturally reshaped. But the problem is, and for so long now, these things have went unaddressed and we have valued other things. We have valued, you know, much more kind of things that might directly relate to productivity in, um, in, a, in a type of capitalist society that will have direct outputs and contribute to the economy where, and we haven't valued social relations. And gender relations and how we engage with each other to make a more compatible and hospitable environment for all we just take like i don't know maybe institutions and stuff have just taken that for granted or that's something that they'll be taught at home or whatever where it's not like and, and we're, we're we're paying the price for it we're all paying the price for it you know yeah and in the school environment it's not just the chat towards women it's like in, in the school environment it's the, the having the skills to be able to call it bu bullying behavior in a way, yeah. that's like it's it's connected to that as well, which probably opens up a whole other like avenue of discussion. Mm -hmm. Like we're saying, I suppose there is there is no end to the, the discussion, but like hopefully 
Yeah, and they're probably they're they're really good environment. There's loads of like social studies done because they're microcosms of society as a whole, where you see like um, the gender hierarchies in play or or even the patriarchy at play. So let's say in a school in a hurling school environment, the hurling kids will occupy the space of superiority. In a rugby school, the rugby kids will occupy the space of superiority, and everyone will conform then to that norm. You know, so so schools need to be very very careful in kind of equitable values that they place on different extracurricular activities or wherever it may be in in the school because young kids they don't need that at that age to be put up on a pedestal and to some extent just in natural social relations relations that will occur but institutionally it shouldn't occur in terms of the school i don't know putting certain kids at a higher place than other kids um, and I know that's, that might not be intentionally that, that they do that because it could be deeply rooted in the culture of the environment or of that area, but they should at best try to make that as equitable as possible. I find it tricky to talk about those kind of scenarios and I'm saying, okay, we need to start talking about the schools now. We need to start talking about in rugby areas where I have got, you know, like I'm not in school anymore and yeah. I haven't got any kids here in school and I've never been in a situation, I've never been in like rugby circle kind of setting either. And at the same time, like... I, yeah, no, I, and I completely understand, like, like it would be very, and it would be right for, let's say, if a school teacher said to me, oh, sure, like every ill in society, you could say that schools should deal with that, like, or need to accommodate for that. And they can only accommodate accommodate for for so much but there are certain elephants in the room that i think really need 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 to be addressed you know and 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 first of all like the single sex schools is something that is well gone beyond its its sell by date you know you know Oh God! That's it. Now, like, there's no end. There's no end of the conversation, which which is a good thing. But I'm glad that we had the chat, and hopefully that like it's added something positive to the the discourse. Yeah, or to just understand it. Like, I suppose it was it was it was probably a bleak enough conversation. But uh, sure, like I don't know. Like, I just think that it's it's a it's an invisible epidemic, to be honest. And and maybe I'm biased in saying that, but I but I do think it is. Like, you know, it's this invisible thing that. And some people are positioned at more disadvantaged than others, but I think everyone as a whole is 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 in a bad place because of this. How do we finish on a positive note? <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't it be like sing a song or something? <laughs> yeah, uh, we're doing that. Um, Fuck a look, like there is no, there is, in a way, there's no positive. If maybe maybe it doesn't do the conversation justice to try and wrap it up in a nice positive thing. We just need to make some changes and hopefully yeah. that this conversation contributes in a positive way to the change that needs to happen and that's just that's just it yeah and that and that's just it i think the whole thing that the the the, the, the theme of the conversation that you're not having in the first place is the positive and i get to see you here for the last hour and a half there by doing <laughs> positive and you haven't got your hair cut in a long time Anna. i'm going for a cut next week do yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which we might sure. recommence it again sometime in five years time we'll see where we're at yeah I'm going to make a cup of tea. Do, yeah. All right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I know. It's great chat. Great chat. I'm sure as always. Yeah. yeah.